0: Hello, I'm Tracy Challoner. Welcome to the Life Education Parent Podcast. When you think of cyber safety, do you feel a bit overwhelmed? Keeping up with technology can feel like a full-time job. And keeping our children safe online has made the job of raising kids in the 21st century even more complex. Well, today we've sought out one of Australia's leading cyber safety experts to get some advice. Brett Lee is a former detective, father of four and founder of internet safe education. He's given hundreds of talks on how to navigate the online world and keep our kids cyber safe. And he joins me now. Hi, Brett. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you, Tracey.
0: Well, fair to say that kids are spending more time online than ever before, with some schools still in lockdown in, in some places and more time at home. It's never been more important, has it, to make sure our kids have the right tools to stay safe online?
1: Absolutely. You're um, you're spot on with um, people spending more time behind a screen, particularly children. And I mean, a number of things like statistics would, uh, would confirm that uh, the longer we're in an environment, Uh, the more chance there is that uh, something may happen that may encourage us to make a bad choice or that someone may make a bad choice towards us. But also with technology, I suppose, with kids is that it increases the chances of um, addiction to particular um, activities online, particularly games, maybe um, addiction to something like affirmation in social media, a reliance on the technology And also it increases the possibility that children may be indoctrinated with poisonous cultures or ideas or start to chip away at their idea of what reality is.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get into some of those things a little bit more. But uh, As a detective for over 20 years, you spent thousands of hours online posing as a teenager so that you could catch child sex offenders. Thankfully, the majority of kids do have a positive experience online, but we do hear those horror stories about predators, and you've written about some of the cases that you confronted. How likely is it that a child will encounter one of these situations when navigating the online world?
1: Look, unfortunately, it, it is very likely. Um, I don't think the internet has created, in essence, um, more child sex offenders, who people who predominantly are looking for children. But I do think the internet's created a medium whereby they now have, a, I suppose, a, a new ground whereby they can um, contact children, interact with them, groom them in a way that um, they never would have been able to. And of course, they're going to go to places where they know they can get access to children, such as um, online games, social media, maybe even um, those, uh, you know, video sharing programs such as YouTube or TikTok. Now, th- this doesn't really make the internet a, a bad place, but it-, it does make it what it is. So there is a very good chance that uh, young people will come across someone who's prepared to harm them in that way. But more often than not, children make the choices, uh, nearly by default, even with not much put in place in the home, to avoid that, because certain things need to exist for a child to be susceptible, whereby they become a victim of these people online.
0: You worked on some very high profile crimes with the FBI and the Australian Police Force. What was one of the most alarming cases you came across when you were a detective?
1: look I I had as you mentioned I did write a book on um, some of my key undercover investigations and even then there's um, investigations that I couldn't put in the book because I felt there was uh, you know there was no real value to the public it wasn't in the public interest because they were so disturbing Mm. look in general in general terms um, I I would think that anything that uh, our mind could comprehend that one human being could do to a child if you multiply that by 10 that's Some of the things that uh, certain members of our community, only a small group, are prepared to do to children. But I would say some of the most confronting cases for me um, as a parent is where parents actually offend against their own children. Now, quite often the internet's not used for that because parents obviously have access to their own children and the intrafamilial cases were the most disturbing. But going a bit further than that, what the internet, um, did, and I was involved in some of these cases where parents would um, offer up their own children to uh, online child sex offenders.
0: Wow.
1: So for me, that was probably the most um, – and they do that for their own gain, whether they would get – other children in return, pictures, videos, or whether it was for money. And for me, they were the the most alarming cases, the intrafamilial cases.
0: Very disturbing. Would you say, though, that most of the cases would be innocent parents and children are approached or or groomed by someone that they don't know? Is that something that you Look,
1: certainly. Yeah, look, certainly when it comes to the internet, I, I think that's the case. And it's only because of the nature of the internet. I mean we can educate our children to you know the 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 aspects of how to protect yourself in their physical world but on the internet they don't get a chance to see the threat um, and children being very accepting, not having as many life skills as us become uh, that that is their achilles heel uh, when they're on the internet so and and like I said um, b- before technology, um, our children probably never would have been, um, in an environment where these people would have had a chance to get access to them because it was public, they didn't know the child, it would have been risky, someone could have seen. But now with the internet, they can actually come into our homes pretending to be whoever they want and appear on our children's screens in gaming sites, in um, social media sites, in uh, websites that have uh, an interest. So, look, the internet certainly has propelled the capability of these individuals.
0: And over the years, you saw a pattern that aggressors would follow in order to groom their child targets. They'd often set up false profiles in order to befriend a child, observe them and start gathering info. How does the situation move from that to child exploitation and abuse?
1: Well, it's very interesting. I, I arrested, I probably arrested 90 adult men um, from Australia. Wow. Um, and I was only i was only limited by time.
0: That must have <laughs> um, been satisfying, hugely satisfying. Look,
1: yes, it was. The internet is a very large environment. And I know that, that senior police all around the world know that we can't arrest our way out of the problem. But um, it is good to get, identify some of those people and remove them from the internet. But Even though they operated in in slightly different ways, they all had their own um, modus operandi, their own MO, how they operated. Most of them came back to a five-step process um, because a child just can't be offended against or groomed on the internet unless certain things exist. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing, they need to identify a potential victim. So uh, it may be to do with their age, what they look like, where they are, their gender, So they identify the type of person they're looking for and they do that through pictures and videos. And that's why I really say to parents, really monitor the personal information your child shares because that can become a a picture of, of their child in another person's mind. So they identify a potential victim. Then they need to gather information for a number of reasons. One of them is to, like I said, make that child real to know who they're dealing with. But what it also does it moves into the third stage that they go through whereby it enables them to identify a need or a vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Now, they latch onto that need or vulnerability and fill it and what that does then, it desensitises the victim and develops trust. Right. So then they can get what they want from that child. Sometimes uh, they will then turn that against the child and through threats and intimidation to get what they want, but generally they develop trust, then the fifth stage is the offending, where they exploit that trust in a number of different ways. And it could be that's where the threats could come in, um, uh, promises to satisfy their... I suppose their unlawful intentions. So generally they go through and they have to go through that five step process.
0: And their ultimate goal is to coax a child to do something that they don't really want to do, like provide a photo or a video.
1: Yeah, look, the nature of the internet is look, one of the needs that generally most children have is they want friends. Mm. They want to feel good about themselves. They want to be famous. They want to be noticed. And that's what kids tell me. And that is their need. So getting the, the information can be one of the simplest parts of their process. Getting further information that may be not consistent with what we expect as a community, that could be a little bit more difficult. Um, That's why they develop the trust such as send me a sexually explicit image of yourself Mm. or meet me somewhere. So the actual just the sharing of, of the information by default, unless we educate children and put some things in place, they will feel that that's okay to do.
0: Mm, So important to educate, isn't it? Well, Brett, the the Federal eSafety Commissioner says that as soon as we hand a child an internet-enabled device, we need to be teaching kids the do's and don'ts of internet safety. In other words, be careful what you post, don't talk to strangers online, never share passwords and beware of what you download – we don't want to frighten children because the internet can be a fantastic resource. But if you could give parents three key tips to help kids stay safe online, what would they be?
1: That's a great question. There are many, but there's probably three that I would focus on. And I would even go further than the eSafety Commission and say we start the education before we hand the child a uh, device. Yes. Um, so so they're prepared. <laughs> but I'd say the first one is this, teaching children the value of their identity. On the internet. Mm-hmm. The second one is to instill in our children that the internet connects them to real people. And if those people aren't part of our physical world, they remain strangers. Yes. And the third one is creating a culture of communication with our children as it relates to technology. Now, not one of those messages really relates to technology, their life skills. And they're probably very similar to the skills we teach our kids to manage the physical world. And it's it's important for parents to have strategies and to know these strategies are powerful, even though they're simple, that they don't need to be an internet expert. Yeah. And they don't need to look over their kid's shoulders 24 hours a day. Mm. Just because the internet does have those dangers doesn't make it a bad place. And when focusing on these three bits of advice, they're going to reduce risk when it comes to their children, for the rest of their children's life when it comes to technology.
0: Mm, That's great advice. And I know one of the other things you've spoken about is encouraging other parents and guardians to lock down their children's profiles because your child might have their Insta page uh, on a privacy setting. But if one of their friends doesn't and if your child's in pictures that are posted, they could still be exposed to the wrong sort of attention.
1: Yeah, look, exactly. Um, One of the prices we pay when we use technology is that we're in a very public place. That we're connected to people we do know who add value to our life but also people that we don't know and it's we'll never be able to control the choices that other people make. So as soon as we make a choice, um, what happens in relation to that choice is really not our decision. So look, I think it's just being aware of that and knowing that There's things I do and I don't need to share. Am I prepared for a particular type of person, whether it's a parent, someone else's parents, every student at my school or another school to see it? And if the answer is no, really the only way to guarantee I can protect and control that is by not uploading it. And one of the things I say to kids is there's not one key you have to type on the internet or else your life won't turn out as well. (laughs) And then I'll say to them, if, if you do resist making that choice, that's a good choice. So it does come down to, I suppose, the education we give them in the, the environment that we create, whereby they have a reason to make the right choice themselves. So just to think it through before they make that choice.
0: That's so important, isn't it? Teaching kids to pause and think about the repercussions. Yeah. And often not posting is the best decision.
1: I always say to kids that uh, I never sent someone to prison because of what they didn't do on the internet.
0: (laughs) That's right. Brett, it does seem like a cyber minefield out there. Every day we do hear about a new app or a game or a website that's potentially harmful. We just can't be current with all technology. There's too much to do as a parent. How can we take charge? What are the main decisions that parents do need to make around technology?
1: Look, I believe that For a parent to really manage technology and to guide their child into making those good decisions, I really believe it doesn't take a lot of time, but we do have to devote a bit of time. Technology hasn't replaced anything. It's just added it um, upon the, I suppose, the responsibilities we always have. I think that a parent really needs to know what devices can connect to the internet and what programs, apps and websites their kids are using. Now, we can never stay up to date with everything, but I mean if our child came to us and said, oh, everyone else at school is using TikTok, can I use it? Now, a parent within five minutes could do a Google search, go to a site such as Common Sense Media and read everything a parent needs to know about TikTok, not to say if it's good or bad, but to let them know if it's suitable for their child. And then they can have a conversation with their child and say, look, I've seen where some young people have had problems in here. I prefer our family not to be part of this and guide them to some other program. So it's not really about knowing a lot about technology. It's about as we need to know it, we find the answers. Now, there's going to be a lot of pressure placed upon parents, and that's why I never bash parents up. They're really the first generation of parents in the history of mankind that has to manage children with virtually... 24-7 access to technology. That's true. So trendy, yeah. it's not about feeling they have to be all over it, but it's about understanding what apps and programs their kids are using because there are some purely because of their functionality that um, – do cause great concern.
0: I'm glad you mentioned TikTok because I was going to ask you about that. It's been in the news a lot lately. And apart from data being collected from underage users, there's also concern about kids uploading videos during school hours to TikTok while they're still in school uniform, which could potentially make it very easy for a predator to find out where a child goes to school and who their friends are. Do you worry about apps like TikTok?
1: TikTok has always been a massive concern. It used to be called Musical.ly. I believe they got some very bad publicity, so they rebranded. Musical.ly was linked to, in Australia, a number of child sex offense cases whereby adults groomed children within that program. Um, Look, it was purchased by another company, so it is a different app, but uh, it was basically the same as Musical.ly. During its development and over the time, it's had functions whereby... Um, it had locality identification, mm-hmm. so the area that someone was in. It had privacy settings that were incredibly weak um, and videos in particular mm-hmm. are like a moth to a flame for child sex offenders it creates that image of that child in a in a much more effective way in their mind and it causes that attraction. Yeah. Very easy to communicate in there. Mm-hmm. It's um those little videos uh give others a reason, particularly child sex offenders, to compliment the child and ask for more videos. So it's always been a big concern for me, that program. And I think the uh, information concerns now just heightens. I believe it's inappropriateness for young people And I believe, I won't go into the details, but uh, TikTok was fined a large amount in the United States for not dealing with young people's information the right way within the last 12 months. So yes, it is a concern. It is a fad. It will die out like all the other programs. We may see programs such as Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook hang around for a while because they actually serve a purpose. If used properly, You can interact with friends and family where TikTok is just a little bit of entertainment that doesn't actually generate anything of value in a person's life.
0: No, and it can be viewed and commented on by anyone, as as you said. And what is the recommended age for a TikTok user?
1: The vast majority of these programs is 13 years of age. Which is very young. That doesn't mean it's suitable for my child. And no one knows your kids better than you. The reason it's 13 is because it's law. It is against the law for these companies and corporations to collect and store data of people under the age of 13. So that's why the age is 13. I can remember back in the day, the prehistoric days of technology, where um, Facebook, uh, when they came along, they were 13 years of age. MySpace, if some of the older computer users listening remembers that, was 15. But when Facebook came along and made it 13, MySpace dropped their age requirement to 13 because they were missing out on two years of customers.
0: Right, yeah. And
1: I mean, parents might say, well, why do these companies such as TikTok want to get information of people under the age of 13? And I say it's easy. They're profiling them because they're future customers. Wow. But it is illegal for them to collect that data of people under the age of 13.
0: So we've just got to try and wrestle back control, haven't we? And and it's very hard to say no to a child who really wants to use TikTok because their friends are using it. But you'd obviously recommend staying away from it if you can.
1: Absolutely. Mm. If you have that, if you have that relationship within your family, um, if you had those conversations, if you, if you're a parent who is putting rules and boundaries in place, it's going to be a lot simpler. And what I say to parents is, look. Just because your child uses TikTok doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have an issue with bullying, grooming, you know, affirmation addiction. It doesn't mean that, but it increases the chances. So if you can keep them away from those sorts of programs in whatever effective way you can, where your family's still happy and your child's happy, that's how we manage technology and you'll be repaid gold for the rest of your life if you have that mentality where there's, there's rules are put in place and no matter what. I rely on those rules.
0: Yeah. Let's touch on online gaming, Brett, because many kids love their online games, especially boys, and it can be such a struggle for parents to get kids off the games and come to the dinner table and do their homework and so on. But there's a more sinister side to these games potentially. What are some of the main risks with online gaming? How can parents manage those risks? Because we know that they're not going to go away. Kids just love to play the games with their friends and they're here to stay.
1: Yeah, look, I think we all know that games like all those apps and programs, they're companies and their their main goal is to make money and they do it however they can. I don't think they're intrinsically evil in their business model, but that's their job and they are very, very good at what they do. Quite often now, the games have very fast moving graphics. It has um. Uh, music that goes with it, lots of little wins embedded, which stimulates a particular part of the brain, releases that chemical that makes us feel good. And as that chemical dissipates, we get to another place in the game where we have a win and the brain starts to look for more and more and more. And it's called the sales funnel. So these companies, games, know the longer they can keep somebody in their game, the more chance that person's going to spend money at some to- at some stage. That's how they operate. Um, So some of the risks, of course, would be addiction and the World Health Organization uh, not long ago uh, introduced a new disease into the world called gaming disorder. wow. And like any disease, it can destroy lives, families and communities. Mm -hmm. So that's something we've got to look at as a parent. Games need time limits. And the more our kids are resisting time limits, the more they're required. And we need to do it as early as possible. Once a child gets to 15, 16, if they have been gaming extensively, it's going to be very hard to undo some of those habits. And it can start to have a very negative impact on that young person's life. So as a parent, we'd look at, you know, they don't want to go to school more often than not. They drop out of sport. They don't want to hang out with friends. They get aggressive when they get off the internet. Um, They're not eating properly, maybe having nightmares. Some of these um, physical world indicators could be brought back to gaming. So games need time limits, um, but also the vast majority of online games have communication functionality. So we're looking at young people interacting with the wrong type of people Mm. uh, on the internet, maybe child sex offenders, maybe people who want to lead our child in a different way and make them believe things uh, just to suit themselves and language and topics that other people may discuss. So that's what we need to look for in games as well.
0: Yeah. I'm sure a lot of parents were nodding as you were talking about some of the, the side effects of gaming and just that battleground that happens in so many families. Yeah. Very tricky.
1: Look, definitely. And one thing I'd just like to add there is most kids will never become addicted to games. Um, and it's not about kicking our kids out of games. It's about knowing what game they're playing and if that's suitable for them at that stage of their life putting the time limits in place and talking to them about it if we feel there is an issue.
0: Yeah, good advice. Kids are often glued to their phones these days as as well. I mean, children in primary school have smartphones now. When do you think is the right age to give a child a smartphone and how can we make sure they don't stray into dangerous territory just by having a phone?
1: That's a very tough question because every family's different, every child's different, their personalities are different, the needs within that family Can be quite different. My personal opinion is from my experience, primary school children, I believe, unless there's a reason, don't need mobile phones. Mm -hmm. There may be a, a reason in relation to safety where parents need to, for some reason, contact that child, but if they pick them up from school, they take them home, they take them to sport, they pick them up from there. I don't believe a child in primary school needs a phone. Now, nothing I say is meant to challenge parents and go that if your child is in primary school and does have a phone, that you're a bad parent. It That's not what I'm saying. It can be exceptions. I'm saying yeah. what our best practice would be. And I think we really need to uh, look at what are the benefits and what are the potential things I need to consider or potential risk in giving my child a phone. Now, there's many great products out there that are quite limited when it comes to what children can do on the phone some don't have a data plan you you can just uh, they can have a series of five numbers that can be called Um, they have um, filtering software actually built into the phone so they do have a data plan they can't you know they won't have um, inappropriate images or videos pop up but with a parent it's always going to be their determination and and that's taken into account with their family and their child a lot of Parents feel the pressure, and I, you did mention this, and I'm going to mention it again. Where our children may say, "Everyone else at school has got a phone." Now, this could be tech companies preying on a on a parent's vulnerability, and that's fear, fear that their child is going mm, to be left out. We left.
0: call it FOMO, don't we? Yes,
1: <laughs> feel, fear that their child is going to be the only one that doesn't play this game or have this or have a phone. And parents make their decisions based on that fear rather than what they think is best. And that's going to be very, very difficult. What I say to parents is this. I don't think your child will get to 20 and 30 and say, mum, my life would have been so much better had I had a phone when I was in year three. We put this into perspective I've not known. There may be cases out there. Of a child who has been seriously bullied or life has been seriously affected in a negative way because they didn't have a particular app, game, website, or device. Mm-hmm. It is a fear, and quite, and I believe that fear is probably not based on fact. It's just what we think. So I just wanted to throw that out there so people could consider it. Mm. I think some parents feel they don't have the background because they never had a parent raising them with technology Yes. to, to really be firm with some of these things that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Like a parent says, oh, I, I want to get the internet out of the bedroom. But, oh, are all their friends do it. And is it really that big a deal? And I don't want to fight about it. So they want it out, but they don't feel they probably don't have the the courage or the or or the passion to actually make that decision.
0: And like you were saying, there's so much advertising and marketing around technology and convincing us that we've got to have this and got to have that. So you do need to just stand firm though as a parent and and I guess make your own choices really.
1: Absolutely. And it's not easy. I I actually say um, to parents that, when my kids were growing up, if every decision I made with them and technology was popular with them, I wasn't doing my job properly. That's right. Um, so that that is one of our roles and uh, I, I do know it's hard. It it, it is a hard thing to navigate technology. Mm
0: -hmm. Britt, let's just touch on social media. The downside of social media is well documented. It can promote feelings of jealousy, anxiety, low self-esteem. Obviously, cyberbullying is a big concern. You strongly recommend that kids under the age of 13 don't have social media accounts. How can we control that, though? Because, you know, if their friends are using it, they obviously want to do it. And so much of the chat seems to happen away from parental supervision. Too.
1: Yeah, look, exactly. And what I say to parents is is this when your child puts their face behind that screen, they're connected to four and a half billion real people. Mm. Every single adult person and every single adult issue that this world has to offer. And this is not about not trusting our kids. This is about not trusting the nature of the world that we live in.
0: Yes, so true. So this
1: is about thinking what is my child going to be exposed to and what are the issues it could create if they use social media, particularly under 13? I absolutely would recommend every parent distract themselves from the idea that their children should be social networking under 13. Well, I really believe no one should be social networking. (laughs) Look, in in saying that, it it can be used very effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of good uses. And most people use the internet in an effective way. But this is about weighing it up as to why I'm allowing this. What's it actually going to do? What are some of the potential risks in relation to this? With kids under 13 in social media, when I go into schools, they'll say that they've had, they may say, look, we've had a number of issues this year in relation to bullying. They say, oh, how's it happened? It's all happened on social media. Mm. Every bit of it happened on social media and it happened outside the school environment on personal devices. Wow. So, look, I think it is um, normalising. I think our community needs to get to the stage where we're normalising the fact that, hey, we have made a bit of a mistake. Kids under 13 should not be social networking. And once that becomes normal, it's going to be easier for parents to make those decisions. Look, my kids would have come home and said, oh, look, everyone's using it. Now, I know that's not the case. Yeah. Um, So parents are going to get that and they're going to feel like their child's the only one again. Um, And they used to get that from their son or daughter, that everyone else is using it. (laughs) I can guarantee you everybody doesn't use everything. No. So it is putting it into perspective but I strongly suggest that parents you know resist the, the the temptation to allow their kids to social network. How can we control it? We put rules in place, mm-hmm. um we talk to our kids and give them reasons why. We talk to them regularly about what they're doing online and we use filtering and monitoring software. And that should be enough to really get our head around um, young kids and social media.
0: Wow, that's, yeah, really good advice there. I think we'd all like our kids to spend less time on screens and online. It has become the great battleground of parenting for many of us. How do you wrestle back control with, with your kids? How did you manage to, to get them off the screens?
1: Look, we use filtering and monitoring software, management controls, little programs that's either on the device or on the, on the router that helps them manage time. It is one of the big battles. Technology is very easy. All of those apps, programs, websites are designed to keep someone there and they're very good at what they do. Every picture, every word, every colour, every design is designed to keep people online. One of their main things that uh, I believe they're trying to achieve is that they manipulate our mind to make the choice that makes them money. That's what they're working towards. And for children who probably don't have the capacity to make the same informed choices we do because of their age, nothing to do with their intelligence. It makes it even harder for them. So look, we put rules in place at home in relation to time. They're actually verbalized rules. And we say to our kids, these aren't technology rules. They're real rules that apply to technology. They're as real as the rules you have in your physical world. So we we put the rules in place as it relates to time, but also we can use, like I mentioned, management software. So you might have something set that, okay, at seven o'clock at night, every internet enabled device goes off that my children use. These programs are, you know, they're pretty high end now if you, if you get a good one. And you might need to pay a little bit. I wouldn't be paying too much, but pay a little bit. They work on devices when our children leave the home as well. So maybe they get to school and the internet goes off on their phone at nine o'clock and it comes back on at three. So that's a good way to manage time is uh, those two ways. Never forget the conversations and the rules and also management software.
0: Well, Brett, it's a topic that can sometimes feel overwhelming, but when it comes to technology, knowledge is power and even knowing the basics can help prevent some of the pitfalls that kids might encounter. So thank you so much for joining me today and sharing some great advice on online safety. I don't think you'll be out of a job anytime soon.
1: No, it's a growing industry. <laughs>
0: That's for sure. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks, Brett. My guest today was Brett Lee, founder of Internet Safe Education and author of the book Screen Resolution, which you can find on the Internet Safe Education website. You've been listening to the Life Education podcast for parents, and you can find our other free podcasts on the Life Education website or your favourite podcast platforms. I'm Tracy Challoner. Great to have your company. Thanks for joining us.